Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Cool Zone Media. Welcome, welcome to It Could Happen Here. I'm Andrew Siege from the YouTube channel Andrewism. Joined today by James, hi. Sorry, I'm doing my own intro. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Hi, Andrew. Yeah, you know, this, I'm excited to uh, to hear about something. I don't know what yet, so uh, this should be a fun adventure. Yes, well, today we are doing a little bit of time traveling. We're going to embark on a journey to explore movements of about 200 years ago that I think is oh, wow. still quite relevant even today, particularly in our very technological, fast-paced world. So I'm going to be putting you, James, in the early 19th century in England. Oh, great. Uh, which, you know, is a time of great change, upheaval, disease, all that jazz. Yeah, I think I'd have thrived. Uh, <laughs> as, a, as a person with diabetes, I'd have made it approximately, you know, a couple of weeks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the Industrial Revolution was in full swing. It hadn't quite reached that point yet, uh, as far as I know. Um, but it was transforming the way the people lived and worked. It was a time of innovation. It was also a time of great uncertainty. And amidst the clattering looms and rise of organization, a group of workers emerged who became known as the Luddites. They were, you know, some early adopters ah, yes. of resistance. Yes, resistance to the changes of the Industrial Revolution. And, you know, for that yeah. cardinal sin, they've been misinterpreted ever since. So today we're going to be explaining exactly who the Luddites were and why their actions resonate with us today in the 21st century. We'll talk about their history and their motivations, 
uh, and their brave stand against the relentless march of capitalist progress. We'll also touch on some figures, some of their tactics, and the lasting impact they left on history. But most importantly, we'll be covering why their struggle still matters today. So here we are, you know, in the 19th century, the Industrial Revolution sweeping through England. Uh, British working families were going through some very tough times as the economy was in turmoil and unemployment was spreading like wildfire. It really wasn't a good situation to be in. There was this never-ending war with Napoleon's France that was draining resources and causing what Yorkshire historian Frank Peel described as the hard pinch of poverty. And to make matters worse, food was in short supply and prices were shooting up. So not only were jobs hard to come by, but even putting basic food on the table was becoming a serious challenge. So it was a really tough period for these families, and they were feeling that squeeze in every way possible. So the Luddites emerged as a response to these seismic shifts, as a loosely organized group of textile workers and weavers who hailed primarily, but not exclusively, from the Nottinghamshire region of England. At the heart of their struggle was the mechanization of the textile industry. Factories powered by steam engines and intricate machinery were replacing traditional cottage industries, leading to unemployment and a decline in working conditions. In the place of a cottage industry where cloth workers could work as many or as few hours in day as suited them, the factory had arisen where workers would work long hours at dangerous machinery, be fed meager meals, and submit to the punitive authority of the foreman. The factory owners were winning. As I alluded to earlier, the Luddites were not blindly opposed to this idea of progress as they've been misinterpreted, but they were seeking to protect their livelihoods and the quality of their craftsmanship. Many of the original Luddites were actually quite savvy when it came to technology. In fact, some were highly skilled machine operators that ended up smashing the very machines that they were accustomed to using. They had no issue with welcoming innovations that made their lives and their jobs easier. But they had an issue with the way that the new machinery was being used by the factory owners to reduce them to mere cogs in the industrial machine. And they didn't like that factory owners were using the machinery to kick out the trained and skilled cloth workers in favor of child laborers and other lower skilled workers that would be easier to exploit. The cloth that these machines produced was of lower quality, but because it was so cheap to churn out and there was so much of it, the factory owners were still turning a profit. And so that, you know, that sucks for them, which is why the Luddites, to resist these changes, embraced a distinctive form of protest. At the time, labor organizing was, labor organizing was illegal. So they chose a, I suppose, even more drastic method of targeting the newly introduced machines for destruction. Yeah. They would... Is it E.P. Thompson who called it collective bargaining by riot? Yes. Yeah. I believe so. Yeah, I think that's an excellent like way to understand it. I'm sure we'll get there. But it, yeah, it's a, a means of labor organizing when labor organizing is illegal. Indeed. Indeed. I mean, if, if no other options are available to you, you know, you're pressed against the wall, you have no other choice. Yeah. So these, uh, these Luddites would gather together in the dead of the night... Um, usually in secluded areas like forests or hillsides, to plan their actions. Uh, to maintain their secrecy, Luddites adopted a strict code of silence, making it very difficult for authorities to infiltrate their ranks. That secrecy was 
crucial to their survival and their ability to outwit the authorities. And so under this code, they'd go on and break into the factories and smash the machinery and occasionally leave an etching of the infamous Ned Ludd as a mark of their presence. Ned Ludd, by the way, was a symbol, not their actual leader. Yeah. He was a legendary weaver who was said to have been whipped for idleness, so he smashed two knitting frames in a fit of passion. More than likely, Ned Ludd didn't exist. He was more of like a folkloric character. But the Luddites named themselves after him and would call him King Ludd and General Ludd. Funny enough, the authorities actually thought he was the ringleader of the whole operation, so they tried to hunt him down. Meanwhile, of course, the Luddites are jokingly referring to Ludd's office in Sherwood Forest, and some of the Luddites would actually cross-dress as Ludd's wives during their protests. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I I do like every time you find an instance of uh, cross-dressing in history... uh, so it's just amusing to note that I guess some people have decided that uh, like either, either like cross-dressing or trans people were invented in like 2016. Uh, not that those two things are the same, but like we can yeah. find literally thousands of instances of, of, of course, trans people and also cross-dressing uh, like as a form of like deliberate. Sometimes it's trans- transgression, sometimes it's a thing that just people did. Uh, but yeah, it, it, yeah, you can see it in depictions of the Luddites. Like they, people even took the time to paint it into their paintings. Exactly, exactly. Very established thing. Yeah. But yeah, so I mean, the leader wasn't Ned Ludd. The leader, well, it really was a leaderless movement. The real instigators were just regular on-the-ground weavers and craftsmen. Folks like, for example, George Mello, a weaver from Huddersfield who played a pivotal role in organizing Luddite actions in the West Riding of Yorkshire, best known for the time that he fatally shot a mill owner in the balls. <laughs> what a <Ouch>. hero. Yeah. <laughs> Chad move. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. But these actions were not just, you know, random acts of vandalism and violence. They were a desperate plea for change. In fact, they mainly confined their attacks to manufacturers who specifically use machines in what they called a fraudulent and deceitful manner to get around standard labor practices. The Luddites wanted machines that made high-quality goods, and they wanted these machines to be run by workers who had gone through an apprenticeship and got paid decent wages. Those were really their main concerns. And besides the raids and the smashing, they also had a couple other tricks up their sleeves. They organized public demonstrations, they sent out letters to local industrialists and government officials to lay out their reasons for wrecking the machinery. They weren't just smashing for no reason with no messaging um yeah and in different parts of england you know you had different uh approaches different stances and different you know material conditions so for example in the midlands of england the luddites had the company of framework knitters which was this recognized public body that could talk to the capitalists through named representatives and so they used that legitimacy as a recognized institution to back up their demands but up in the northwest of england textile workers didn't have these established trade institutions. So they used their letters to push for official recognition as a united group of tradespeople. You know, it's like an early union. Their demands weren't just, of course, about smashing machines. They also wanted high minimum wages. And again, an end to child labor. They were playing the long game. 
And in Yorkshire, you know, the tone shifts a bit. They were going from letter writing to making more direct and violent threats against local authorities, who they saw as supports in these nasty machines that messed with the job market. The Yorkshire Luddites meant business. In fact, they, <laughs> they carried around these sledgehammers that they called the Great Enoch, named after a local blacksmith who had manufactured both the hammers and also any of the machines they intended to destroy. As they declared, Enoch made them, Enoch shall break them. <laughs> Which I think is just... The, the vision that gives me is like, you know, God of War style, you know, swinging around this sledgehammer, smash out the machines. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, they broke some big things, right? Like, they weren't... Uh, this wasn't like, uh, I don't know, like some sort of trivial sabotage. Like, uh, frame breaking is uh, still a capital crime in the UK, but it's also a serious feat of strength. Yes, and I mean, I'll get into that. <laughs> yeah, excellent. Good. Yeah. I love coming from a country with normal laws. <laughs> Ugh, there's so many. Don't even get me started on, on, on strange <laughs> laws around the world. I mean, yeah. even in Trinidad, there are some really strange, strange laws. But yeah, yeah. I'm sure that like, could be a whole topic for a whole episode. It could be. Uh, you could suggest that they're not connected to morality, uh, perhaps. Maybe, maybe the law yeah, perhaps, and what's uh, right and wrong is not the same thing. Hmm. You might be onto something there. Yeah, ponder. <laughs> something to think about for sure. Yeah. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features, like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. 
Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So a lot of these chain differences and approaches, like I mentioned, really depend on their material conditions. It also depended on the background of the workers. Some of them were frame workers, some of them were weavers, some of them were spinners. And so they took on different tactics and styles, uh, depending on what they were experienced with and what where you found them. Of course, they were sending out death threats to some industrialists as well. Um, and in fact, some of these industrialists were so worried about Luddite attacks that they had secret chambers built into their buildings as escape plans in case things went south during an attack. Yeah. You can imagine them cowering in their holes while yeah. uh, other Just workers like, were outside. Imagine being like, yeah, I, I'm making excellent choices in life. Uh, I employ hundreds of people and I've, I've built a secret hole to hide in when they inevitably try and kill me because I've made their lives so shit. Yes, yeah, like, I'm going to create conditions that are so terrible. <laughs> <laughs> these people are going to get so angry at me and then I'm just going to make a, a place to hide, you know? So yeah. Instead of actually rectifying the reasons they're angry. Yeah, exactly. Like it, you could simply take the money you spent on your secret escape hatch and, and distribute it to people who are literally struggling to put food in their children's mouths. But I guess that's not the logic of capitalism, is it? Yeah. That'll be too, um, that'll be too humane. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You can't let them get, uh, you know, realize that uh, you're afraid of them. Indeed. With all these tactics, the Luddites were truly fights not only for their own jobs, but also for a say in the future of their industry and their communities. Like regular people of today, they were just trying to provide for their families and defend themselves against the ever-expanding incursions of the capitalists. I don't know, James, how do you think the government and factory owners responded to these ordinary people and their desperate and fair pleas for change. Yeah, I'm surely but, it was a humane response, right? Mm-hmm, from Yeah, that's what I would expect as a British person uh, through our history. Our government has really shown a lot of humanity uh, and compassion for people. So I'd, I'd expect they did something similar here. That's I what mean, I learned in so, school. They're so compassionate that they created an empire that the sun would never set on. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, the that's, reason- that's so considerate, you know, for people who are afraid of the dark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the real reason, yeah. And of course, they were doing it to uplift, civilize, and Christianize uh, the, the other peoples of the world and for no other reason. God, such philanthropists. Such, yeah. Such philanthropists. <laughs> kind people who bought tea and scones to, uh, to the rest of the world. The, the British Empire and, and the British government. Yeah. Never. Do, am yeah, I going to learn so, something bad about them? Yeah, I, I hate to let you down, but um, the government and the factory owners responded with, you know, deploying troops to quell the light uprisings and firing against the protesters. 
Um, in one of the bloodiest incidents in April 1812, some 2,000 protesters mobbed the mill near Manchester and the owner ordered his men because, you know, in addition to soldiers, you also have these, you know, private militias that capitalists would hire. So the owner ordered his men to fire into the crowd, killing at least three and wounding 18. And then soldiers killed at least five more the next day. Okay, yeah, that's that's not quite what we'd hoped for, is it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Many of the Luddites were arrested, uh, many were tortured, some even faced execution, or, even worse, exile to Australia. Oh, <laughs> yeah, the, the, ultimate, the ultimate crime, the ultimate penalty, rather. Yeah, they sent yeah. to the land of, of kangaroos and uh, where they put mashed potatoes inside their pies. What? Yeah, no, have you not seen this? This is, it's terrible, uh, but unfortunately it's Are true. you talking about like shepherd's pie or? No, they'll, they'll take a meat pie, like a normal meat pie, and then they'll cut a bit and then put mashed potatoes like in, to, in the top of it. Uh, just to... Uh, what it, is this it, called? Uh, I'm going to have to look now. Uh, like, I've seen it on YouTube. Meat pie, mashed potato, Australia. You can get it like in like, you know, like, uh, like, like instead of having fish and chips... Uh, you can get it at a van. Like someone will bring it to you. I think I'm seeing it. You found it, and then they put like gravy as well. Oh man! Yeah, it's uh, like oh, I know. No. I've come from a country that does terrible things to food, but uh, yeah, it's this one is really something else. It's, it's, you can see yeah, why people why it was uh, the worst. I have punishment. to say though, I, I do admire that it, it it seems to be a very balanced, you know, you get in the carbs, the fats and the proteins in it, you know, it's like. Yeah, and it, it all in one. That's that's the gym, bro, and me talking, of course, but <laughs> it seems like yeah. a very efficient meal. Yeah, it's, it's like, uh, it's not, a, the Cornish pasty is the uh, the truly the most efficient, uh, like working man's power bar, because you can, uh, <laughs> you you can hold on to the crust and eat the, the pasty. And even if you have like dirty hands from working in a factory, you, uh, you still get your lunch. Mm. Yeah. But <laughs> we're getting a little bit sidetracked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We have, we've tra- traveled a long way from the so yes, exile to Australia. Ugh. I shut out the thought. Um, <laughs> but some of them, despite that kept their fighting spirit to the bitter end. Like for example, John Booth and, no offense to you, James, but, you know, a lot of the names I read in, like, British history are the most generic sounding names. <laughs> it's like yeah, you yeah, just yeah. casually find somebody in British history named, like, John Doe. <laughs> yeah. We do. We're choosing from a limited palette, like, until very recently. Uh, we, we were really pretty, pretty, like, uh, pretty stodgy on the names, you know? Like, there's, like... I mean... More power to you. I mean, it's, it's it's iconic, but at the same time, it's also hilarious that you like everybody from like regular people to like some of the movers and shapers, uh, the leaders in the military and, you know, politicians and stuff, just all of them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, yeah. Just yeah, like, it's like they had six sided dice. One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just some guy. <laughs> Occasionally, you'll get like a Cornelius or a Marmaduke or just some absolute nonce with like a really posh name. Uh, but yeah. yeah, we otherwise, yeah, it's like. Well, apparently, like an Enoch, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to respect Enoch. Or like, once you go outside of England, you get some good names. But like, uh, yeah, we, we were moving with a, a pretty, 
pretty pretty playing with a playing with a small deck, I guess, when it came to names for a while there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I can't even talk. My name is Andrew. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think my name is the most popular name for boys born in the year I was born. So can't really uh, can't really say much either. <laughs> oh God, we're getting off track again. Right. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, John yeah. Booth, right? So John Booth was this 19-year-old apprentice who joined one of the Luddite attacks. Uh, he was injured, detained, and died after being tortured to give up the identity of his fellow Luddites. A local priest was in the room when he was passing, and his dying words became legendary. So John was like, <coughs> Can you keep a secret? And the priest was like, Yes, my child. And then Booth was like, so can I. And then he died. <laughs> there you go. What a hero. Yeah. Iconic. Yeah. Iconic. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, government officials by 1813 were trying to quash the Luddite movement by any means necessary. So they organized this massive trial in York after the attack on Cartwright's Mill at Rawford's near Cleckheaton. I've got to write a... Yeah, Cleckheaton, I think. That seems about right. Where are we? Cle- like Cleckheaton. in... Uh, yeah, yeah, we're in, uh, I'm signing it on the map. Okay, you're near Leeds. Yeah, yeah, Bradford. Uh, I've not actually spent much time in that part of the world, but if I had to guess, Rawfolds, um, something like that. We do, like, one of our, another, another great tradition in Britain is having names which uh, don't bear any relation to the way they're spelt. We just write them like that so we can <laughs> tell if you're local or not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we primarily use British spelling conventions, um, internet and English. So I know all about your center with the <laughs> R and then the E. <laughs> yeah, cetera, yeah, and our, our defense. And yeah, I'm working on a book at the moment and uh, my American Microsoft Word is fighting me every step of the way on my spelling. Yeah, I mean, can't they see that the U is absolutely essential in the word color? Yeah, without it, we wouldn't know what it meant. And that's what language does. <laughs> discover betmgm the betting app sports fans in the capital region turn to for non-stop action all winter long take the excitement of football basketball and hockey to the next level with same game parlays exclusive signature bets odds boost promos and much more plus now you can sign in place bets and manage your cash balance under the same betmgm account in dc maryland and virginia with the same username and password throughout the dmv it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks download the betmgm app today betmgm is an authorized gaming partner of the nba and an official sports betting partner of the nhl BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features, 
features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So yeah, so after this attack on Cartwright's Mill at Ruffles near Clackheaton, the government accused over 60 men, including Mello and his associates, of various crimes related to Luddite activities. It's important to note that not all of these charged men were actually Luddites. Some had no connection to the movement. And while these trials were technically legitimate jury trials, many were abandoned due to a lack of evidence leading to the acquittal of 30 of those 60 men. And it's evident that these trials were primarily intended as show trials to discourage other Luddites from continuing the activities. And then here's here's where we get to the the important bit. Um, Parliament went on to make machine-breaking, i.e. industrial sabotage, a capital crime with the Frame-Breaking Act of 1812. (laughs) Yeah, what a normal thing. And they've never repealed it, is that right? Yeah, I, I believe I've, I don't think so. Yeah, it's still it's still in the books. Yeah, listen, if and you're listening, honestly, in, you since said, it was yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say if someone's listening in the UK, just give it a try, see what happens. Uh, <laughs> stakes stakes are quite high, but uh, yeah, you know, you never know. They might you might be able to get the machine breaking act struck down, a frame breaking. No, honestly, act. I I wouldn't be surprised if you know since it was established in 1812, if by now. Um, a lot of the British colonies, you know, might still have it in their books as well. Yeah, you know, yeah, just yeah. Kind of inherited that common law and stuff. Yeah, and again, I'm not, I'm not like a legal scholar. I don't know all the deeds on that. No, I can see Liz Truss incorporating it into her platform to return to uh, our leadership position. It's like a very uh, insane kind of Tory position. Like, there's, there's still <laughs> this bizarre British like. Uh, Anytime we have a protest movement in the streets in the UK, you can like uh, log on to uh, like Meta or Facebook or whatever and see like a certain type of British person being like, send in the army. Like, like it's like yeah. a, like the, uh, there are people who have not reconstructed their opinions on labor organizing since the Luddite period. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. They are indeed, the conservative indeed, indeed, indeed. party. You can, you can literally picture them like smoking cigars with top hats, except, (laughs) you know, they were not capitalists. A lot of them are just like regular workers. It's like, what are you even doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, you've, uh, like, don't you understand that your economic interests line up with these people uh, and not with like the Boris Johnsons of this world Uh, and and your social interests too, of course. But uh, I mean, speaking of, of, you know, interests aligning, there was actually a politician who did stand against um, that legislation and that is, you know, the well-known English poet, Lord Byron. Yeah. 
He was actually one of the few prominent defenders of the Luddites, especially after witnessing how the defendants were treated during the York trial. Yeah. I mean, so, uh, go ahead. But Byron has some surprisingly like uh, good, t- I think mean, he was part of this romantic movement, right? Like the idea that the uh, industrial revolution spoiled the innocence of the of the rural working people, which it's, uh, it's paternalist at its core, but like when at least he's not baying for their blood. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it actually, that, that attitude reminds me of Van Gogh. Oh, um, really? He was another, he, his, all of his art was very obsessed with the peasants because he just saw it as like a better way of life. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. real, real romanticization of the peasantry. Yeah, it was. I think it was a thing that sort of spread around Europe in the late 19th, early 20th century, maybe like uh, even 18th century, I suppose. No, they, yeah, 19th, 20th century, like this idea that, yeah, like the innocence of the rural peasants had been broken. And like, it's just so reflected in so much art from that period. You know what that is? That's what? literally just like their version of nostalgia. If yes. you really think about it, you know, it's like, it's kind of like how people today are like, oh, the 90s was so much better. Oh, the 2000s was so much better. Oh, the 80s, oh, the 70s. It's just that, but with <laughs> peasants. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Instead because- of like disco or whatever. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Like, yeah, it is. It's like, uh, yeah, doing uh, like uh, doing a ironic wearing a fanny pack, but with uh, but with a peasant. I'm not even just in fashion. It's also like the actual mm. like material reasons people feel nostalgic, nostalgic as well. You yeah, know, it's yeah. Like when you think about you know safety, when you think about the ways that our cities have changed, mm-hmm. think about you know all of the material realities that have changed in these decades, and it makes sense. Just like yeah. they wished for the simpler life of the peasant, a lot of people now wish, you know, we were back to the simpler times of. Yeah, if the uh, miners strike the when. Uh, immediate post Jim Crow and, you know, post <laughs> uh, colonial independence period. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. Uh, I think also we we forget the hardships, but yeah, like it's a way. And change accelerates so much quicker now because. Uh, we've we've really fucked the whole planet, and climate change is accelerating, and obviously te- yeah. technological change is accelerating. So our nostalgia cycles are much shorter. But yeah, this is just like when I had an estate and I I could direct the peasants to trim my trees in a certain shape. Life was better for them, kind of nostalgia. Yeah. <laughs> but like in a meaningful sense, right? Like the lives of of working class people were not improved, right? We see like yeah. the like. GDP, which is a useless metric, but like the amount of of like value of goods the country produces in the industrial revolution goes up and up and up, but the quality of life and even life expectancy does not, right? Like uh, people are dying earlier and certainly like, and chiefly life expectancy is dropping because children are dying, right? Either from the industrial conditions or conditions in cities. And so like, in a meaningful sense, those people's life was not improved. The life of the bourgeoisie was improved. And like, yeah. uh, we see that later in Britain with things like the, uh, Britain's forced to incorporate the bourgeoisie into its, into its politics. Right. So that it doesn't have a bigger revolution. That's what it does in the great reform act. But like right. the wor- working class people, it continues to suppress with like after this, you know, we look, we see it with the chartists and, and uh, like the, the violent suppression of chartism. But uh, yeah, this this nostalgia isn't, it, it helps them, but I guess it, it's not really invested in their agency. It, it's more of a paternalist, like uh, it's, it's, I guess, not dissimilar to the way Britain treated its colonies in many ways. Yeah. 
And I think another aspect of it as well is, you know, when we look at this sort of nostalgia, whether we're talking about this romantic nostalgia for the simple life of the peasant, or we're talking about the nostalgia of, well, for example, I'll give you an example from Trinidad, um, the oil boom period in the 70s and 80s, right? Yeah. Uh, we, we gained independence in 1962, and in the 70s and 80s, we got this oil boom, and, you know, a lot of people were living lavish. Um, yeah. But whether it's either of those cases, when you look at the reality of the situation on the ground, it's like, oh, you actually go back to that time, it, it wasn't all sunshine and roses, you know? Like, it actually was not good to be a peasant, actually. Um, I mean, there are certain things that, you, you know, a lot better than now in terms of perhaps the, the vibrance of culture or the ability of to re, you know, lean on a community uh, yeah. for support and that sort of thing. But, or take, for example, this oil boom situation I'm talking about with Trinidad. Um, yeah, like there was this massive influx of wealth and stuff, but there's also, you know, a whole bunch of corruption. And also we had the whole 1970 Black Power Revolution um, that was born out of the frustration of the people at the time. Yeah. It wasn't all sunshine and rainbows, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's this always this sense. Like you see it in uh, like nostalgia as well, right? Like the nostalgia for East Germany that, that German people will talk about. Like uh, you also had the Stasi, like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, it's exactly. easy. And I mean, I, I, I get it. When I look at some of the maps of like, for, like we're talking about with Germany, when yeah. you look at some of the data related maps and you know, sociological data of things like religiosity or things yeah. like uh, I can't remember some of the examples, but there's some like stark differences between the two sides of the country. Even to yes. This day. Um, yeah, yeah, very much so. So I, I completely understand how people would feel like, oh, we feel so separate and distinct from, um, you know, West Germany and all that stuff. But yeah. And yeah. when you become like, they went from being like a, I guess like a, a nation within the USSR to like the, often the less economically advantaged parts of a nation, which is neoliberal and capitalist. And, and like neoliberal capitalism is not kind to the less economically adva- uh, advantaged people. Like, it wasn't a great situation before either, to be clear. But like, I can see how just suddenly being incorporated into like, not not everyone's going through this, but you lot are, and, and the state's not going to do fuck all to help you. Is like, I can see how that might promote some nostalgia. Definitely. Definitely. And I mean, speaking of states doing nothing, uh, at this time, Byron is making this his speech before the Lords. And in that speech, laced it with sarcasm, of course, he was highlighting the benefits of automation, which he believed led to the production of inferior goods and unemployment. He concluded that the proposed law, uh, the Frame Breaking Act of 1812, was only missing two crucial elements to be effective. 12 butchers for a jury and a Jeffries for a judge, which was a reference to George Jeffries, an infamous hanging judge known for his very harsh judgments. Yeah. It's also mad that like, but also not uncommon in this period, that you are seeing like the... Uh, the leftmost political opinion being advanced within Parliament, being advanced in the hereditary chamber, like the House of Lords. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. So, the, the the what's the word? The aristocratic. Uh, yeah, 
the, the, the aristocratic realm is still, you know, having to deal with this. Yeah, it's very much tied to like a paternalism and, and any sort of feudal attitude, but it's just it's just fascinating to see like, and it's, it it does happen in the, in the especially, and I think also there's this uh, a deep deep disdain for new money that is just a powerfully British vibe uh, that um, that comes especially from the House of Lords, right? Like like this like they right. don't identify with the bourgeoisie at all and, and fucking hate them because they're they're, they're turning up at the country club or whatever <laughs> yeah and it's so it's so funny but a lot of old money and i'm gonna say this and i'm gonna you know get back on track but what's so funny about the old money folks is that a lot of a lot of cases they don't even have like as much money as the new money people yes yeah, it's not yeah, even yeah. about money for them at this point it's really just about lineage and culture and whatever yeah, like Britain's class thing is, is like a, it's almost like a caste system. Like your caste is, your, your class is inherited regardless of your actual financial means. Like yeah. they're, they're, they're like Lord living in a castle that he can't afford to heat is a, it's a, like a, it's like a, it's a trope for a reason in Britain, I guess. Indeed, indeed. So yeah, with the passing of that act and in the years that followed, the light move on came to an end, but the light actions left a lasting mark on the labor movement. Their tactics of collective action, even though clandestine, laid the groundwork for future labor unions, demonstrating the power of organized resistance. Defenders of their way of life remind us that technology, while transformative, can also disrupt lives and communities. The Luddite experiences, experiences echo even today, you know, in an era with the fear of technological unemployment, with discussions and the impact of automation and AI. Yeah. You know, before he had said his infamous last words, John Booth also said that the new machinery might be man's chief blessing instead of his curse if society were differently constituted. In other words, technology can either help common folk or harm them, depending on not just what the technology is, but also what society the technology develops within. Yeah, that's very true. So I'll leave you all with that for now. And next time, we'll be shifting our focus to the present day and examining how Bloodism's principles have been applied by movements of the 20th and 21st century. Cool. Nice. That's all from me. Uh, you can find me on youtube.com slash and support on patreon.com slash This has been It Could Happen Here. It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. 
Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals. It's not about being the best in the world. It's about doing what's best for the world. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.